Episode 15, Chumboy. Written and directed by Sean Hybor. Performed by Ryan Mesher. In my mind, he's like my old and dear childhood bedroom. Scuffed baseboards, loose carpet fibers dangling, crooked posters attached to the walls with peeling paint. The corners hanging on with pushpins alone, the hole growing larger each time you accidentally bump against it with your shoulder. The smaller details become variables, but you never lose it from your memory. When I dream, I can see his face the same way. He had green eyes. They were small and shifty, darting from the ground to the world of obstacles in front of him, and then back again, never not looking around him, surveying. He had a few scattered freckles, mostly on his nose, cascading down his cheeks slightly, and disappearing at his jawline. His lips were thin. Hmm. He was a few years older than me. I wasn't sure exactly how much older at the time, but now I know him to have been uh, three grades above me. I first started to feel him during the summer before I was entering high school as a freshman. My parents shipped me off to a youth retreat for a week. Even though they weren't overly religious themselves, they just wanted the guilt-free babysitting. Plus, they were really worried about my vitamin D levels or something. I guess they figured that if you slap a Jesus fish on a brochure, there is a built-in level of trust. Throw in a zipline, go-karts, volleyball, something called the blob, and you can pretty much wash your hands of all responsibility. Plenty of outdoor games and events, all in exchange for my eternal soul. The first morning of camp is when I started feeling him. I was battling a headache, which wasn't uncommon. I had been having them since I was a youth, so it was more of an inconvenience than anything. I wasn't down much for group activities, so I decided to take a book down to the lake. I had a used copy of Stars in My Pocket Like Grains of Sand that I had stolen from a doctor's office, and it sounded just bizarre enough to try. There's the story itself, and I guess I should explain how I stole it so they don't think I'm a terrible person. It just goes around stealing things, but uh, I'll save that for later. The line for the blob was long. It always was. It's crazy to me how willingly humans will wait in line, anticipating their chance at manufactured and scheduled fun. The camp boys stood around shirtless, snapping the bathing suit straps of the girls, inching closer together every few minutes before a counselor would remind them that God was watching. This sort of authoritarian dance routine went on for a while, and I mostly forgot about them until I heard the camp boys chanting, Chum boy, chum boy, chum boy. They had made a circle around one of the kids, laughing at him and spitting at him for not wanting to take off his shirt in front of them, not allowing him to walk away when he tried to, their hands slapping against his shoulders, unrelenting in their taunts. Chum boy, chum boy, chum boy. I tried to stand to see him, but my body felt weak. While they chanted this stupid name louder and continuously, 
I started to feel sick. My headache blurred my vision, and I passed out. I honestly have no idea how long I was in the black because no one found me. I just laid there, the book's pages soaking in the wet grass. I eventually came to to find no more line for water activities, and I uneventfully crawled back to my cabin. My bunkmates barely looked up. So, Chumboy is not his given name, as you may have assumed. But it was given to him by the beautiful Christian youth. They tried a few different word combinations before landing on Chumboy. Fishboy, Clamboy, Pissface. They were a clever bunch. They called him Chumboy because they thought he smelled like urine. And he did honestly. Sometimes, I think. At least, that's what I felt. His body produced a compound that made him emit a fish smell through his skin, and that was especially strong with emotions like fucking fear or shame. So, of course this happened. He couldn't help it. I didn't feel him again during the remaining weeks at camp. I mostly just kept to myself and read books down by the blob. I'm not sure if he stayed at camp or went home, but then he popped up again, two days before the start of my freshman year at Monarch High School, home of the Monarchs. The Monarch Monarchs. Sometimes, usually at night, I would feel a weird sensation behind my eyes, like my thoughts were being pulled in multiple directions. It was those times that I would start to feel him. I could see him too, sort of, like scrambled television channels, an imperfect rendering, a friendship built in our wiring. Could he feel me too? Could he pull on my thoughts? I wasn't able to turn it on and off or control it in any capacity, it just happened. I started to anticipate it longing for it to sweep over me while I was able to be fully present and not distracted by boring life shit. I'd eat meals quickly and skip family board games. I'd stretch and fake a yawn and say dumb things like, uh, well, I guess it's about that time. And then I would stare at the ceiling, eyes closed, and wait to feel him. The majority of my first year of high school was just like this. I was more reserved, more cautious than I had ever been before. Instead of going out into the world to have my own experiences, I waited to feel them through Chumboy. It was easier. A synthetic truth, his feelings running parallel to mine. I lived part of a life, intimate and devastating, but with safety netting. And in time, the more I listened to him, saw him, felt Chumboy, the more I started to care about him. Chumboy was a part of me. During your senior year, all biological males are required to take a weightlifting course. It was a standard life skill preparatory course that had missed countless attempts to have it shelved in curriculum reviews. I have no issue with the class itself, 
but the snag was that you'd have high adrenaline football players, those who had already signed their intent to play at Adams State or Seton Hall or UM, mixed in with the kids who were only looking to fill a slot in their graduation card. The kids who just wanted to get the fuck out of here. The chum boys. I was on the other side of the school, halls away, walking through the cafeteria, trying to stay as cloaked as possible by the world around me. And then, I felt the pull, stronger and deeper than I ever had. My hands started to clench as I walked, pinpricks appearing on my skin, the back of my eyelids burning hot. A small but persistent hum started to fill my ears. I ran to a trash can and started violently vomiting. For the first time, the pain the chum boy was feeling was surging through me like it had broken new ground. I was no longer just sensing it. I was feeling it with almost my entire body. I was seeing it, clear signaled. I stumbled down the sparsely crowded hallway, careful to shield my discomfort from Callie, the junior on the yearbook staff, and Marcus, son of the associate director of the PTA, and Isaiah, and Zeke, and Catherine, and whoever is getting a drink at the water fountain. I can't make out their face. My eyes hurt. My vision was blurring. I could see Chumboy face to face with someone. His eyes were looking at the mat, so I was looking at the mat. I felt his shame. I felt his fear. We all reject out of hand the idea that we deserve humanity, at fucking minimum. I turned the corner to the weight room, but I was too late to intervene. Chumboy was pinned down to a mat, the offensive line holding him by his arms and legs. Four adult men trying somewhat unsuccessfully to subdue him. He gnashed and swung. His face was covered with a handprint smearing of blood. It wasn't his own. The hum in my ears grew to an overwhelming drone, a wall of sound. I was disoriented and overwhelmed. I shut my eyes tight, and then, somewhere between the violence or the witnessing of his distress, or the quicksand humming, or a cocktail of everything, I passed out. This time, someone did find me. When I woke up, it was at home, in bed. A used copy of stars in my pocket like grains of sand that I had swiped from the doctor's office was at my side, along with a note from mom that she had run to the pharmacy and she'd be back soon. It had a hand-drawn smiley face underneath it. The kind that uses slashes for eyes instead of circles. I always found those to be lazy. I was back to school the next day, as if nothing had happened, released back into the wild. During my lunch period, we had an assembly called. The entire school, all 748 of us, to the gymnasium. No words were spoken as we marched through heavy air. Faculty members ushered kids onto the bleachers. 
moving us to the center of the row to fill in all of the empty space. These seats, which were usually filled with the noise of cheering or hissing or some combination of the two, would be completely silent if not for the squeaking of old scaffolding joints. Principal Bowman stood at the center of the basketball court, pacing back and forth for a minute while he wiped sweat from his forehead. He didn't appear to be sweating, but it seemed to be more of a nervous tick as opposed to a moisture maintenance reaction. When everyone was seated, he turned on the microphone to start speaking, but the audio system gave an unwelcome hiss, breaking the hush for the first time. We adjusted in our seats. Every single one of us seemed to be shifting our weight nervously. Principal Bowman gave us an update on Lawrence. Larry. Chumboy. There had been an incident toward the end of the day yesterday in which a member of the football team smeared the blood from a bandage he was changing onto the face of another student in gym class. There was an altercation that followed and both students were removed from the school grounds immediately and sent home. Sometime after the end of the school day yesterday, Chumboy was found face down in a pool of rainwater. He was barely breathing when they found him, but alive. Today would also be his last day as a student at Monarch High School, home of the Monarchs. He would be moving upon recovery and his family wished to not have any students or teachers attempt to reach out to them. That was the extent of the information that he had, he told us. He chose his words respectfully, which I have come to appreciate more with time. We were just kids. The microphone hissed one more time as Principal Bowman attempted to turn off the system. I sat with my hands folded in between my legs. My shoulders were arched forward and my back curved. I felt a gaping hole in my stomach. My skin was on fire. But this was all mine. One single entity. Chumboy was gone. Chumboy was my internet. I would live through him. I would see the world through him, like a preview of what I might be in for. His thoughts, his ideas. When his stomach would hurt, mine would clench like some sort of design flaw in our bodies, in our souls, in our existence. I was there when he was given his name, and I was there when he decided he didn't want to be Chumboy anymore. I'd do it all. I'd feel all of it again, a small part of this collapsing space. The splendor and misery of human connection. I never did tell you the story of how I stole that book. Maybe next time. Chumboy was written and directed by Sean Hybor. Performed by Ryan Mesher. To learn more about Constance, please visit our website at constancepodcast.com or you can visit our Twitter at ConstancePod.